Today I'd like to welcome to the PodMD studio, Mr. Cameron Keating. Cameron is a Victorian-trained plastic reconstructive and hand surgeon. He has undertaken fellowship training in hand and wrist surgery at St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne and Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney as part of the Australian Hand Surgery PFET program. Cameron has interest in hand and wrist surgery and aesthetic surgery. He holds a public appointment at the Royal Hobart Hospital and his private practice is the Hobart Institute of Plastic Surgery in the Hobart CBD. During plastic surgery training, Cameron was awarded a Fulbright Scholarship and its Keith Murdoch Fellowship to undertake doctoral research at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School in the area of nerve surgery. Cameron is the founder and director of the TAS MedTech Lab, developing devices for improving health care. Today we'll be discussing the topic of facelifts. We do hope you enjoy this podcast, but please remember that the advice given here is of a general nature and is not intended as specific advice about any given patient. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the doctor, not PodMD. If you do have a patient on whom you require specific advice, then please seek that advice from a colleague with appropriate expertise in the area. Cam, thanks for talking with us today on PodMD. Thank you very much for having me today. So the topic of this discussion is facelift. Now that's a term that everyone knows, but I'm going to ask the question, Cam, what actually is a facelift? Well, facelift is one of those classic operations in plastic surgery. It's an operation to improve skin laxity, skin sagging, and the contour in specific areas of the face. And those areas are um, specifically the cheek and often the jawline is where the most powerful effect is. And that's quite a significant incision. So a full incision runs from the hairline above the ear, then down in front of the ear, and then behind the ear and back into the hair behind the ear. So um, it's a significant incision. It's a significant operation. Commonly with experienced surgeons, it takes four to six hours. And so the emphasis on this is it's a significant operation, um, which is quite different to other treatments for facial ageing. So, Cam, who is appropriate for a facelift, or should we say, who commonly has a facelift? Patients appropriate for a facelift tend to be patients in their 50s, 60s and 70s. Occasionally they can be younger, or occasionally they can be older. But certainly patients in their 20s or 30s worried about facial ageing are not appropriate for a facelift. Secondly, like any consultation, we want to make sure that patients are medically fit to have the operation, and I'll talk more about in the rest of this podcast what that means. But it's basically about having good blood pressure control, being a healthy weight, which also minimises risk of hematoma, and uh, you know finding out about their medications. But most importantly, was with aesthetic surgery, addressing the psychological side of it is critical. And I think all plastic surgeons who do facelift surgery would see patients multiple times, get a, an in-depth understanding from the patient as to why they want these to address these changes in ageing in their face, and really can they narrow down the specific anatomical problems that they're noticing, and does that match with the surgeon's assessment of their facial ageing and what could be improved, and ultimately are the aims of the patient achievable and realistic? And so all of that side is critical for a patient being appropriate for facelift surgery and having the support of psychologists and assessment protocols is very important in all of this. So what does happen to the face as we age? There are many changes that happen to the face with ageing. 
And when we compare photos of the same patient when they're young compared to when they're old, there are classic differences that we see. And one way to think about it may be to think about the different layers of a house. And if we think about the roof of the house or the skin of the patient on their face, that facial skin, there is a loss of elasticity over time, a loss of quality and thinning of certain parts of the skin, changes in the pigment due to sun exposure over time, and then classic things that we see such as wrinkling or creases that occur within the skin itself and due to the underlying muscle. Secondly, at the level of the fascia or the fascial ligaments, which are like the walls holding up a house or holding up a roof, they tend to sag over time. Thirdly, the contents of the walls, or the, which is like the fat contained within the fascial spaces of the face, classically there is a loss of volume in the upper and middle third of the face and an increase in volume in the lower third of the face. And then deeper to all of these layers still is the bone, which is like the foundations of the house. So the facial skeleton, there are certainly changes or areas of bone loss in areas including the orbital rim and occasionally in the maxilla. So overall, in broad terms, a youthful face is like a triangle with the flat bit at the top and the pointy bit at the bottom or the chin, where the volume is mostly in the upper and the middle third of the face and the contour of the lower face is well-defined. With aging, that triangle inverts and the volume is then mainly shifted into the lower third of the face, which then leads to a loss in definition of the jawline, a change in overall of the shape of the face, skin accumulation in areas such as the jowls that we associate with aging, and also areas of volume loss that we associate with aging, such as sunken areas below the eyes or tear trough deformities or around the orbit. So these are overall the, the changes that are happening with aging. So there are multiple aspects to the changes of aging in the face. The question I'll ask you now, Cam, is which of those aspects does a facelift operation actually address? This is a very important distinction to make. Facelift is a, a powerful operation to address certain aspects of facial aging, but by no means does it address all aspects of facial aging, and that's an important distinction for patients and for GPs to make. The skin excess that occurs with facial aging is tightened and is removed. The Fascial ligaments and that layer under the facial skin, the SMAS, um, in areas where it's become loose and droopy, it's tightened. And so overall that leads to a powerful change in the shape of the face. So the contour is particularly improved over the jawline. And that lower third of the face, the volume is shifted from that lower third up into the middle third of the face and in particular this works very well when uh, facelift is combined with fat grafting which adds back volume to areas in the face where there's loss of volume. So then naturally this leads to the question well which of the problems of facial aging doesn't a facelift address and so those classic areas are that the skin quality or the the roof of the house that is not changed by a facelift. That is addressed by other modalities such as normal skin care and UV protection, skin resurfacing, you know, such as dermabrasion uh, and in the past peels. Um, facelift doesn't by itself address the fat loss in certain areas of the face, which is why it's commonly combined with 
fat grafting to replace the fat that is lost in specific areas of the face. And then facelift, thirdly, does not affect the bone loss that occurs in the facial skeleton around the orbit. There are some surgeons who do offer facial augmentation or prostheses for this area, but that's much less common. So, Cam, facelift is a term that people tend to throw about a bit, but my understanding is there's actually more than one uh, distinct operation. Can you tell us about the different types of facelift? There are quite a number of different types of facelift, and the overall message of the podcast today is that the results of all the techniques are, uh, are broadly the same. What matters is the surgeon who does it, not the technique that they use. But the layers that facelifts have classically been performed at include the subcutaneous layer just under the skin, which tends to tighten only the skin itself. The next layer down, which is then called the SMAS, which is that fascial layer. The most common techniques are where that fascial layer is tightened up or SMAS plication, or where a segment of the fascia is removed and then the remaining fascia is tightened, which is called SMASectomy. And this then tightens both the overlying skin and the fascial layer underneath. And then historically, more involved facelift dissections have been described, including deep plane, which occurs at a level deep to the SMAS layer, which is then closer to the facial nerve, which potentially puts the facial nerve more at risk of damage. And even at the level right down at the bone, which is called a subperiosteal facelift, um, is advocated by some surgeons to be a powerful technique. And other techniques that are related to these broad types of facelifts include things like a mini lift, which is where there's an incision in the hairline and in front of the ear in the face, but it doesn't go behind the ear or back into the neck because it's mainly addressing the face rather than the neck component of ageing. And then newer techniques using sutures alone, things like a max lift, where sutures are passed from the temporal hair underneath the facial skin to pull on or create a vector on the fascial layers without actually creating a skin flap or a big dissection underneath. So it sounds like there's actually quite a diverse range of techniques. Is there one which you regard as the best? And I think this is an important message to convey today is that lots of uh, senior surgeons around the world and the literature clearly supports that good outcomes can be achieved with all techniques and that the surgeon is clearly a more important factor in the outcome than the surgical technique that they use. Probably the most recent significant review was in 2011 when they looked at 60 years of data on facelifts and they did not demonstrate that one technique was better than another. So in terms of the patient experience, can you tell us a bit about the recovery phase after this sort of surgery? In broad terms, after a five or six hour operation, patients always require an overnight stay in hospital. It's best to tell them that the face tends to look funny, tends to feel funny or feel different, and it tends to move funny, so not move as well as before, and they tend to commonly drool for the first night afterwards. The drains that we place in the neck are removed at the first day after the operation and then the patient's able to go home and commonly they'd be able to return to office work within about a three to four week time frame. Due to the incision in the hairline and behind the ear, they're able to wear, commonly if it's a female patient, they're able to wear their hair up in a ponytail at about three months without the scar being obviously visible. And at one year, we aim for the patient to have had a facelift and then to have recovered, and then for other people not to notice that it's obvious that they've had a facelift unless they look very closely at the scars within the hairline or behind the ear. So that's sort of our broad aims. So, Cam, tell me, what are the risks of facelift surgery? The main risks that we 
talk about with all patients is that the risk of hematoma is about 3 to 4%. And this can be quite a big deal in a facelift because it can affect whether the overlying skin necroses or not. And so therefore, any significant hematoma, we would reoperate on straight away. And we've found over time, and the literature clearly shows, that controlling the patient's blood pressure before the operation and during the operation greatly lowers the rate of hematoma. And then we'd certainly want to know about if the patient was on any blood thinners, including any herbal supplements, because that increases the risk. And the second major complication of facelift surgery that we always talk about is skin sloughing or skin necrosis. Um, that's why it's absolutely critical that the patient isn't smoking at the time of surgery. And if they are a smoker, that they've had a significant period off the cigarettes, uh, six weeks or longer. Um, but for those patients, the skin doesn't return back to normal. Or the skin vascularity doesn't improve back to normal. Um, they are more at risk of skin sloughing. And what is the role of the general practitioner in managing patients who come to them with concerns about their appearance, facial ageing, how they look? The role of the GP is critical in managing these aesthetic concerns because um, they're so common in the community. And I would say that the main benefit for GPs is, is really about educating patients what their options are and saying that, you know, Facelift certainly is not a magic solution for all of these problems that occur with ageing of the face and that different layers of the face are targeted with different therapies. So skin resurfacing treats the skin, Botox treats the muscles, fillers adds volume to the face, but a facelift has a powerful effect on the fascial layers and the contour of particularly the lower third of the face. Cam, thank you very much for your time here today in the PodMD studio. To sum up this discussion for our listeners, could you please identify your three key take-home messages from today's podcast on facelift surgery? Well, for our audience who are listening to this podcast today, the three messages I'd like to convey are that the face changes with ageing. There are classic changes that we see at different levels of the face, and that occurs at the level of the skin, the level of the fascia underneath and the fascial connective layers, the fat um, where there's loss of fat in the mid-third of the face and an increase in fat in the lower third of the face and the neck, and then the bony changes underneath. Secondly, that facelift is a powerful technique to recreate that youthful facial shape, which is the triangle where there's a nice contour around the jawline in the lower part of the face, and to improve that skin and fascial excess and that fascial drooping. But that by itself, facelift has limitations, and that's why commonly fat grafting is included with a facelift to add volume to areas of the face where there is fat loss. Thanks again for your time and the insights that you've provided today. Thanks very much for today, Sean.